All right, so we're starting in um, Mark 7, verse 31 tonight. I'm just going to go ahead and read it to y'all. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephata, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of God for the people of God. So there were a few things that I wanted to to point out initially with this passage. Um, The first is that Jesus has traveled from the region of Tyre to the Decapolis, and people knew who he was everywhere. I read something that said that this was like, if you wanted to get from Portland to Seattle, going by the way of Denver, which makes no sense. I love road trips, but that's a bit ridiculous. Um, And so everywhere he went on the way, people knew who he was. Another thing to note is that both of these regions are Gentile or non-Jewish areas. Um, They're occupied by non-Jewish people, so people sort of on the outside of things. Um, So the miracles Jesus did in those areas were most likely to non-Jewish people, um, therefore bringing new people into the fold and sort of into what Jesus was doing. The second thing I wanted to point out was, this is sort of something that convicted me when I was reading it, Uh, When Jesus tells the people they were not to tell anybody about the miracle that he had just performed, they only spread the news more. And these days it seems that it works sort of in the opposite way. At least for me, sometimes the world is telling me that it's impolite and offensive to tell people what I believe. Um, I've graduated now, but I was an art major in school, and... It sort of felt like sometimes in the arts, there's this assumption that you don't believe in anything. Um, And it was really intimidating to speak up about those things in class if, because every once in a while it comes up that like, someone makes a comment about, I can't even think of something specific, but it's just like, it's clear that they know where they stand on what it means to be someone who believes in something. And I wish I could say that I spoke up every time the opportunity arose, but I definitely didn't. So I wish that it was the case that, man, Jesus has this awesome stuff that he's doing, and he's not telling us not to tell anybody about it now, and still we're not telling anybody. Like, it should be something we're excited about. The first thing, though, and the main thing that hit me was um, the fact that people... um, brought this man to Jesus, they were begging on his behalf. Um, The passage doesn't say who they are or what their relationship was to the man. Uh, All we know is that his problems meant enough to them that they wanted to do something about it. And I can't help but make that personal and relate it to the way that I've been feeling lately. Uh, I'm not someone who's good at advocating for myself. Uh, I can be the one who 
one of the people advocating for the deaf and mute man, happily, and I th was thinking of a few different times when this has been the case. This is uh, me and my sister, and uh, our dynamic is kind of interesting. I, I look at this picture, I'm like, wow, that makes sense. I was always, always sort of more, I guess, rambunctious than she was. She's very dainty, I guess. But um, I look at this and I'm like, Emma, get in the back, I'm driving. Like, I'm three years younger than her, and I'm sure someone put me there, but the attitude, look at my face, the attitude is there. And so here's a more current picture. I had to take t this from two different pictures because there was a, in either one of us, both of us were making some stupid face, and if I had combined them the other way, it would have looked like that. So uh, <laughs> I kept it with, with this way. So when I was two or three years old, my aunt tells this story. Uh, we were, we had our cousins over for Easter, and if you look, this is my cousin Megan here. She's a year older than me. She's in a pink puffy jacket. My sister's over there to the left, and that's me with my boyfriend, Brian. And uh, there's, there's just another, I kind of just put that one up there because I like it. Um, so Megan and my cousins were over for Easter. My sister's three years older than me, so I was two or three years old, so, which means she was five or six, because that's how math works. And I was playing at one end of the kitchen with my Easter basket, and she and Megan, Emma and Megan, were at the other end of the kitchen with their Easter baskets. And my aunt says that I was sitting there, and I must have noticed that Megan was messing with my sister. So uh, I got up, went over, hit Megan. My, my aunt says I slugged her. That's her terminology. And then went back down and sat down and continued playing with my Easter basket. Like, it was so casual. So I think that there was something in me from a young age that said, hey, your sister's being messed with. She's not going to stand up for herself, and so you need to do it for her. The second thing, story that I thought of, was uh, more pictures of me as a kid. Uh, so this is my brother Liam. He's three years younger than me. I'm a middle child. Um, that's us over there at Waldrug in South Dakota. I'm obviously the cool one in the family. Um, I like to lean against things, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> so there's my brother in that cowboy vest that he... Uh, I think it was just that summer, but it was like one of those things that he wore all the time. And it looks like it's getting a little small in this picture. So we were all at a Nats game, that's us again, this current. You'll notice the height ratio is the same, but completely switched. Um, so we were at a Nats game last week, and we're all sitting in a row, my brother's at the end, and this girl who was clearly under the influence um, started coming up behind him, sat behind him, it was like flipping her hair and like, I don't know, like it almost looked like she was whispering in her ear, which made me really uncomfortable. And um, so she's like flirting with them. We're all like, what's, what's happening? And I've never witnessed it. I'm sure it happens because all my friends are like, oh, your brother's so cute. And uh, so this is us. This is the girl right here. I was trying to take a picture where it looked like I was picking her nose, but uh, people kept moving. So this is me being really unhappy about the situation. And uh, here's her with his phone. I don't know what she was doing with his phone. I don't know why he gave her his phone. I think she was adding him on Snapchat, which also makes me uncomfortable. Um, so at some point, 
She disappears, and my brother must have gone up to go to the bathroom or something. So I was like, they're both gone, and I don't like it. Uh, so after a brief conversation with my mom, I decided I was going to go track her down to make sure she wasn't messing with my brother. So I walked up the stairs, and eventually I, I found her, got that shot of her, stalker shot. I <laughs> took a picture of her. She was flirting with the bartender, so I don't think there was any real threat, but I was worried. So um, that's just another sort of, and eventually I, I, this was a whole series of pictures, so it's sort of like stop motion of her walking across the screen, and I put it to music. I think the words in the song were like, you're the worst, or something like that. Um, and then the final thing that I thought of was my mom's an art teacher. She teaches kindergarten through fifth grade, and she does an art show at the end of the year. And I've grown up like helping with the preparation for the art show. Here's a picture. So this is their, their auditorium and cafeteria. <clears throat> and this is just one of the rooms that she fills with art. So like the whole, all the hallways, their school's sort of like a square. All the hallways are filled with artwork. And she individually backs every single piece. Um, this one, there's two backings. There's labels. There's just so much prep that I don't think people, there's Velcro on the back of them too because they stick to um, felt. So there's so much preparation that goes into this. She teaches 514 or 541 students. So there's well over 1,000 pieces in the show because she makes sure that everybody has at least two pieces in there. So needless to say, it's a lot of work to get ready for this thing. Oh, there's me and my mom. Um, so she has the tendency to only hear the negative things that people have to say. So almost every year, there's at least one parent that comes up to her and says, uh, where's uh, Charlie's like, work? I, like, I can't find it. Like, where's his sculpture? And she has a list for, for them for that reason. Or they'll come up and just say something critical that shows that they don't get how much work she puts into this thing. So one year, I decided that I was going to follow her around. Apparently, <laughs> I do a lot of following people. I was going to follow her around and write down every single good comment she got so that in the event that someone came up to her and said something bad and she was talking to me about it, I was like, yeah, but look at all these 10 other things that were great that people said. So I could advocate for people, other people, all day. It's satisfying. It brings attention away from myself. And in some ways, it's easier. But when I'm the deaf and mute man, I'm just that. I'm deaf to the things that people are saying to encourage me. And mute in that, I can't speak up for myself to either say what I need or confidently step forward and say that I can actually do something. I can think that it's selfie, selfish, not selfie, selfish or cocky to speak up and that I have something to offer. I can miss the chance to ask for healing because I feel like I don't need it or am not worthy of it. And... Specifically, lately, this has been a reality. I don't know if it's the post-college slump, which I think a lot of people go through. I think a lot of people don't. I tell myself that most people don't have a plan right after they graduate, which I think is true, but sometimes it doesn't. I, I'm getting some nods. So, okay, I'm affirmed in that. Um, I think it's partially that. I think it's partially, like, I'm still living with my grandfather, I'm trying to move here, I'm trying to figure out like what the heck I'm doing. 
Um, and so it's this idea of like being confident in who you are and what you can do is sort of like elusive to me right now and it's it's hard to like hold on to that for a long period of time I guess um, and so this this quote about the passage says healing then and perhaps healing now though we don't always realize it can never be simply a matter of correcting a few faults in the machine called the human body. It always was and is, and perhaps supremely so in Jesus' actions, a sign of God's love for breaking into the painful and death-laden present world. It was and is a pointer to the great healing that will occur when the secret is out, when Jesus is finally revealed to the whole world, and our present stammering praise is turned into full-hearted song. And so I was thinking about this passage and not feeling sure of myself and the idea of everybody needs healing at some point. Um, and so I was thinking about it, and regardless of my own reason for hesitation and asking or speaking up, the fact of the matter is that it's still not even about me. God made us and wants us to be confident in how he made us, but that's not where the story ends. When we are confident in living the way he made us and confident in who he made us to be, when we believe that he wants to heal us, and the things that people say to us no longer sound like nails on a chalkboard because a lot of us, when we get compliments, it's like you either just like back away from the situation and pretend that it was never said, or what do I do? I don't even know. I feel like, oh no, stop but like in a real way, like you don't really mean that, um, which they usually do, by the way. If I compliment you, I mean it, so just keep that in mind. Um, so when these things that people are telling us to build us up no longer sound like nails on a chalkboard, but truths that we can be humble yet confident in, he's able to make us more effective to share what he's doing in the world and to share him with people who have no idea what they're missing out on. Sometimes we need people to bring us to Jesus. People who will advocate and even beg for us because they see possibilities and potential in us that we can't even imagine for ourselves. We don't know if this man was deaf his whole life, but I think that there was a good chance he was. And even conceptualizing what it was like to hear what was going on around him would have been impossible. So having people to bring him there and beg on his behalf, um, having Jesus heal him and open his ears to what was happening around him, being able to speak plainly and in a way that people could understand, all of these things coming together then allowed him to participate in the work that Jesus is doing there in a way that he never would have been able to before. He could then be a firsthand testimony to how life-changing knowing Jesus can be. And I can't help but feel like it should be the same way for us. It's not over this, always this overly dramatic, or outwardly dramatic as it is with this man where you have like one encounter and then everything is different after that. Sometimes it's gradual. But the call to a life following Jesus is, and the healing that he provides in so many different areas of our lives guarantees transformation. And I think if we're honest... We all need some help from time to time. 
with being brought to Jesus with all the junk that we sort of carry, whether it's questioning whether you're a good parent or sibling or a son or daughter, um, or if it's believing the lie that you are of no use and can't be used for God's kingdom on earth. Um, And it's not even for our own sake. It's for the sake of what Jesus is doing in our world and being able to be used as confident ambassadors of Christ. So I would just pray that if there's somebody in your life who you know needs to be brought to Jesus, who needs to be advocated for, you can be the one to do it. And if there's something that you need, it's hard because I know what it's like to be in the situation where you don't feel strong enough or confident enough to advocate for yourself. But that doesn't change the fact that God is going to build us up and with Christ's work in our hearts, we can then advocate for ourselves and therefore advocate for others as well.